Broadcasting live from Ned's Lola's apartment, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly. And we know we've been having some some weirdness, some irregularity in our upload schedule lately, and I want to apologize for that. Uh, between senior projects, increasingly busy work schedules, the holidays... It's just been tough for us to get something out thus far in December, but we are very excited to be talking about Spider-Man No Way Home right when it comes out. We wanted to make sure that we got this one out to talk about it, and we actually are going to be off for uh, Christmas the next couple weeks-ish, but we will be back in early January to talk about the book of Boba Fett. You can also look forward to our uh, upcoming upload about the first couple episodes of Hawkeye. Today we'll be talking about the latest episodes of Hawkeye along with our main segment. And we will be back in early January to give you that update, like Garrett said. Yeah, episodes three and four today uh, will be uploaded before episodes one and two of Hawkeye, which will be coming later this week. We just haven't had time to, to finish up that episode and get it out. Uh, we also had a very special guest, Maria Belke, come on and talk about Stephen Sondheim with us and remember his life and legacy. So, very excited for you all to hear that, but let's talk about our one, like, still relevant piece of news from all of this weirdness <laughs> and jump into it. Yeah, our one piece of news today that, after doing a little digging on it, seems like pretty substantial stuff. We have word that in the new year to mid-spring of 2022, there's going to be be a merger of PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus, two services that are often confused for each other anyway. Do you think, Seamus, that this will be a tiered system, or do you think they're just going to fold PlayStation Now into PlayStation Plus? Yeah, I hear there. I, there's a rumor that it's going to be a three-tier thing now, where there's going to be multiple levels, and that the highest tier, I believe, you will have full access to the PlayStation Now virtual libraries and still have all the benefits of PlayStation Plus. And I'm hoping that, you know, the price increase won't be too much. If anything, I haven't been super satisfied with, you know, the offerings that PlayStation Plus have been giving this year specifically. But actually, just recently, because of this news, I finally pulled the trigger on my little free trial of PlayStation Now, and I gotta say, it's kind of incredible for, you know, coming from somebody who kind of didn't even think about it at all for, for the years that it's been advertised to me. Well, I mean, they've got to come out and compete with Game Pass somehow, because Game Pass, frankly, I think is kind of a console seller, you know? If you don't care about playing specific games, if you just want to play a, a lot of games, that's the most bang for your buck. You know, if you're a, a a younger kid and you just know that you want to try as much as you can, Game Pass is the way to go. So it makes sense for PlayStation to kind of expand out and try to really compete with it. Yeah, I think that's exactly the strategy here. And considering how few people actually use PlayStation now in general, I think that... You know, I think it's a good move, and as somebody who's, like I said, I've been really enjoying PlayStation Now, so if this means that the library of games there will be vastly expanded, then I'm all for it. So yeah, I'm excited to continue keeping track of that as more news comes out. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. I'm, I'm ready to join that third tier probably, so I'm, I'm excited. But you know what else is exciting, Seamus? Spider-Man No Spider Way Home? Spider-Man No Way Home, a movie I'm genuinely excited to talk about. The first <laughs> Marvel thing in years I've been this excited to talk about. 
honest to God, me too, dude. I, I'm very excited to get into the details with you. So let's do it then. Let's move on to our main segment. Today's main segment is going to be Spider-Man No Way Home which uh, just hit theaters on December 17th here in the United States. Um, we went to go see it in our open caption screening last night as to avoid large throngs of people. And I think we had a, a pretty decent sized crowd, something that I was more comfortable with than, you know, mm. those full capacity IMAX screenings that were happening next door. So, oh, no, yeah, I was just going to say, I I thought that was kind of a great move to go to that caption screening because it really took nothing away for the experience for me personally and like you said you know it is still covid times i'm not trying to sit shoulder to shoulder with a couple hundred people and it was still like a fantastic time absolutely it was i i had such a blast and i'm, I'm glad that we got we got the crew together to go you know yeah yeah it was still fun to feel that theater energy i think it would not have been the same experience watching this at home I don't think so either. I think this one was more that I like we, you know, we caught up with Shang-Chi and I'm going to do the same with the Eternals in January when it hits Disney Plus. And those I'm, you know, I was pretty fine with the idea of just watching them on my couch at home. But this was it felt like like we were we were asking each other at the theater, like, when's the last time you felt like this in a movie theater? And I think maybe Infinity War or Endgame of just like insane high energy, lots of twists and turns and just like real satisfaction from just like beginning to end, uh, uh, just satisfaction from the story. I think the only thing that's ever that's hit as close in recent memory is the Ana de Armas scene in No Time to Die. I think that, like, our, our audience is really into that when we went to see that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it still wasn't anywhere near the level of excitement that was going on in this movie, which obviously we'll talk about more of those big moments in spoilers. But, overall, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it, had, it was a big step up from previous MCU Spider-Man films, for the most part. Obviously, this is a, a pretty direct sequel to Far From Home. Kind of the cliffhanger at the end of that movie is picked up directly in mm -hmm. the opening of this one. And I liked seeing the fallout and the consequences of that movie in the first half of this one, even though I didn't, I wish that there had been more stakes at the beginning of this movie. I felt like it was way too funny and I didn't feel like any of the characters were actually going to face any consequences or were in any real peril for a, a mm. good chunk of it. Well, I have thoughts on that specifically, but they all contain spoilers, Garrett, so I might have to circle back around to that in a little bit. Well, what um, did you think in general, Seamus, of this film? In general, I I thought it was a fantastic experience. I think that the MCU Spider-Man movies are just getting exponentially better. Like, I really enjoyed Homecoming. I thought Far From Home was even better, and this has it's rejuvenated a lot of my excitement for Marvel stuff. We talk about our Marvel fatigue a lot on this show, and I think you feel it more than I do, but I think in general, this is a great movie. I think everybody should go see it. I think <laughs> avoid every spoiler if you can. I, I somehow avoided almost everything that I needed to to still be very surprised by a lot of things, even though I got caught in some of the leaks. It's it's great. It was a great time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to pretend I didn't know some of the stuff going into mm -hmm. this movie, but I, it still had enough to surprise me. And the storytelling, th this is what was really important to me about this movie that we will definitely talk more spoilers about, is that I felt like there was just base storytelling going on in this 
that was more compelling than 90% of the other Marvel stuff. Yes, That there was absolutely. genuine character work going on and genuine emotion behind the twists and turns presented in this film, which so often in the Marvel stuff, reveals are just empty reveals. Mm. Like, even something from Endgame, like, the standout moment in Endgame, right, is Cap wielding oh, Thor's yeah. hammer. And at the end of the day, as fun and cool as that is, and as rooted in the characters that is, it's kind of just empty fan service, right? I mean, sure, it's a commentary on Steve Rogers being worthy and all that kind of stuff, but it, it's really just cool guy do cool thing with thing that normally isn't his. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And in this movie, even like, you know, the side characters that we'll get into, they're development and emotionality in something like like this story drives it so much farther than and again i really really liked far from home but i would say that there was even more quips and gags in that one than there was in here and a lot of the characters that are just kind of in a lot of these roles for their comedy breaks and stuff like that they have so much more to do even in the like smallest pieces of the the wider plan of the story structurally very impressive um emotionally very impressive visually very impressive i mm. think one of my favorite fight scenes in the entire marvel cinematic universe oh, yes uh happens around the midpoint of this film and i yeah i just really was jazzed about it it's probably not my favorite Marvel movie, I still think Guardians 2 is what every Marvel movie should be trying to be. Or not, you know, trying to be because I, I'm more anti-homogeny on pop culture reference. But, um, you That's know. That's like your pinnacle of what Marvel can be, really. It, yeah, it is. Because it's it's got, but this is close. I think this is definitely top hmm. three for me. I, I think I would say the same. Top three at least. So yeah, if you are a MCU guy, if you're not an MCU guy, if you have an affinity for strong storytelling and compelling care. Like it's just good action cinema. Mm. You, you unfortunately do need to have intertextual knowledge of the rest of the MCU for it to really work, which is where it does fall down a little bit for me, but that's the world we're living in. So yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree, man. Do you want to get into the details of it all? I think we absolutely have to. I think there's, <laughs> there's no, no but to. nothing else we can say. All right, this is the official, very important official spoiler threshold for Spider-Man No Way Home. So, okay, you were going to say stuff about the tone at the beginning and how it relates to spoilers later in the film. I think I was just going to touch on something of the balance that they hold here between something like, and this is a big one, folks, the multiverse splitting open and fracturing whatever, the balance of that like pretty epic universe-changing event with the idea of their college admissions being kind of what's driving a lot of the initial things that happen that make everything go wrong. I think that, especially in the ending, when we see what happens after all the action has wrapped up and Peter has to live with a lot of the consequences of what he had to choose with, you know, wiping memories and resetting a lot of things that bringing it all the way back in the end to those college admissions. It, it has that balance of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man kind of the lower stakes of something like a, a homecoming with like a crazy Avengers level Doctor Strange multiverse thing going on. Yeah, I, I can see that. I still think that, I don't know, the, the happy and May stuff has always just kind of irked me. It just, <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't think it's very funny. Um, 
Does and, it remind you of him doing similar things in Chef, where he's just like a strange love interest for very attractive leading women? <laughs> um, not exactly, because this I think this is played more pitifully. Yeah, it is. really I is. Think it, yeah. I think in Chef, it's like, oh, look at him. He sees <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, like, uh, um, I love Chef, yeah. though. Don't get me wrong. But I think in this, it just, it play. it's kind of like the teachers for me in Far From Home, where I really like Far From Home, and I just don't think the teach like, they're just clowns. They're doing the Three Stooges in the middle of the superhero movie. Don't they? They do that in this movie, too. Yeah, but it's like, le- like... They only have one scene in this movie. Far From Home, That's it's true. like the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they're like chaperoning them everywhere. And w- I also felt like that was a big change from Martin Starr's character in it, the way he was characterized in Homecoming, who was much more of a true mentor figure to Peter. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, And then becomes this buffoon in Far From Home <laughs> and continues to be a buffoon in this. Um, So yeah, it was just like, I didn't mind that scene at all in this one because I thought it was funny and it was- it, yeah. Because it was also Hannibal Burris, like, throwing... Being, like, a QAnon guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, that, that was great. I did I did like that a lot. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. I liked a lot of the stuff at the beginning. I really liked seeing MJ's job. And that oh, she yeah. just works this terrible job. And Zadea is... Okay, in a movie that has, which we haven't mentioned yet, Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, (laughs) Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, um, like, all of these really insane, uh, like, beloved characters and performances that are being brought back into the fold, the fact that Zendaya, to me, is, like, the standout performance in this movie... Dude, that's what I'm saying. That's... I'm totally... It's crazy. It's crazy. That's what I was kind of saying, alluding to that before of like, she's been a lot, especially in like, uh, Homecoming, you know, very much a dry comic relief character and, you know, through a lot of No Way Home. But in this one, there's the emotional range of what this character does throughout the movie is, is incredible. And I mean, you know, even Ned too, he is, is so good in this movie. He, he gets a little less, I think, than Zendaya does, but. Both of them, very well done for characters that have been kind of benched for trying to make Tom Holland more of the quippy focus on things. But when you talk about MJ's range, I think that this movie is the best written a Spider-Man love interest has ever been. I totally agree, actually, yeah. There's actual things going on and things that matter, emotions, uh, emotional stakes as well as those, you know, big cataclysmic stakes. I I, I totally agree. I also think, and I often complain about how sexless and dull um, Marvel is, I think by far the most compelling romantic couple in all of the MCU to me is MJ and Peter. Yeah. Like, I think they oh, have yeah. genuine chemistry, and it feels real and exciting and fun for them, and they actually seem to care about each other and have a connection. Which, I mean, you know, I, I guess they are together in real life, which I'm sure helps, but gosh dang it, it really does come on screen very well. There are very passionate moments between them. I mean, even just, like, them laying on the roof together feels so incredibly natural, but also things like the very intense final kiss crying and the wreckage of the statue of liberty it's it's fantastic yeah i mean so i just want to make sure that we really touch on i think zendaya is the core of this movie i think it would not work without her how strong her performance is and i think similarly to may who we'll talk about in a second 
this is the first movie in this series where they were really like, okay, we're going to give her like complexity. <laughs> we're going to really yeah. sit down and think about the, the different facets of this character and how to make them work best thematically in the story, but also be true to them. Like the fe- the female characters of this movie have taken a huge step up in writing quality from the previous two. Yeah, definitely. And maybe that's because they're trying to kind of retroactively give a little more substance to the characters since this is I get I guess from what I know this is like the ending of the first trilogy of Spider-Man yes. movies. I know that will be shuffled around infinitely between now and if they ever get to the end of however many they're trying to do, but they say now there's going to be 9. They say there's going to be these right. 3, then the next 3, then another 3 like like Star Wars style. Right, and they're they're gonna fit in Miles somewhere. Maybe he'll take the torch. And as Marvel fatigued as I am, that prospect alone in a vacuum does not actually bother me because I. Huh. It's kind of like Black Panther, where I just like all of these characters enough, sure, and I like the yeah. performances enough to to hang out with them and to kind of ex- to really burrow and explore all of the possibilities of what you could do with this spider Spider Man world. You know, like, um, mm-hmm. because we, we, we so often in the MCU just kind of vacation in, in a time or a place, uh, that a hero's in. You think about the first Captain America movie, which is one of the better MCU movies, um, I think. And you, you're in this story, the central story of Steve Rogers and his origin, but you have all of this satellite stuff around it. You have the foundation of S.H.I.E.L.D. and mm. the Howling Commandos and, and like, World War freaking two. <laughs> yeah. um, and Peggy Carter and all of this stuff that you could spend several movies just hanging out in that World War II setting but because we're we're moving at this clip and we have we have all these larger stories to tell we don't get to sit and really uh kind of meditate on that stuff and that's what's so refreshing about the Raimi trilogy going back to it now is that it really takes the time to sit in its characters and sit in its its setting and its its world and their problems and I want Spider-Man specifically to get back to that because that's where he shines the best. And clearly this movie does too. Yeah, we talked about it a lot after the theater yesterday, but like the abs- the sheer absence of Iron Man stuff. I-, I guess he has the Iron Spider suit for a while, but they like don't even say Tony Stark's name. A lot of the complaints of like, he isn't doing his own spider things. He's just like adopting iron things and turning them into spider things. Now there's like, he's got his new suit handmade, which I mean, it looks fantastic too at the end uh, when they show that off. Um, I've lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. It's okay. Do you want me to take it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Because the end of this film is clearly trying to set up a, a Peter Parker situation that we are much more familiar with because when yes, yes. um when Peter makes that choice to have everyone forget who he is, it puts him in a position where he is truly on his own and that's where the best Spider Man stories are found and that's been, like you said, the common complaint, uh, uh including from us in these MCU ones, is that he's the heir apparent to the to richest man in the world, so he doesn't have to worry about the things that Peter Parker normally has to worry about, like rent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which yeah. Which there's a nice call out to at the end of the <laughs> yeah. week, where he's got this tiny uh, New York City apartment now that, mind you, is a huge New York City apartment with three <laughs> windows, but, you know, it's a movie, so who cares? And he's poor, he's probably going to be working some sad 
job. He's down on his luck. Nobody knows who he is. And because that's the rule in in the those Raimi movies, every time Spider-Man wins, Peter has to lose. And every time Peter wins, Spider-Man has to lose. That there's no there's mm. no victory without uh, without trade-off. And that's something that th- that this character's been sorely lacking and that they found a really elegant way to kind of incorporate both thematically and literally into the rest of this franchise going forward. But even without the, like, Peter forgetting stuff, I do think that they start earlier in this film with that, um, with that thematic build because Aunt May becomes the Uncle Ben of this Peter's universe. Yeah, that was an... What did you think of that? I thought that was an interesting uh, and very... I mean, I think it was a very cool, interesting way to twist that around. It made me wish that Aunt May's characterization in the previous two films had been stronger. Yeah, because I, I feel thought that. she was really well written in this one. But also, the reason she was well written in this one is just so she could die to service Peter's character. And I truly, with the way they were both talking about various Uncle Ben deaths and having Aunt May die as the Uncle Ben figure, I was so surprised that they didn't directly bring up or show or reference uh, Tom Holland's Uncle Ben. Or do you think, like, is there an Uncle Ben? Is there a Ben? I think at if all? there was an Uncle Ben, it doesn't seem to have had an impact on Peter's life as, oh, wait, as there... in the text of this film. I there I'm now remembering Uncle Ben's initials on the suitcase, on the suitcase that he brings to Europe. Yeah. So there is somewhere there is but... somebody who is right. uh, Ben Parker, but we don't know like what that looks right, like. Right, right, We don't even like we don't know how old he was when he left Peter's life. If he died, if he got divorced from May, if they were you know there are a million different possibilities right. with that that we don't frankly need to get into because we as a metatextual audience understand that May has filled that role and they probably won't mm-hmm. answer that question for us, um, which I don't need to know because it doesn't matter. They've, they've stated pretty much outright, right, that it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, we, we pretty much had that scene from Into the Spider-Verse happen in this movie where like multiple spider people are talking about their their own specific version of their spider loss and how that drove them to you know take up that and we, I, I get we also got our finally we got our with great power comes great responsibility specifically from aunt may as she's dying and then again from toby uh to really hammer it home because yeah this is the first time that the mcu has understood that 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 may is the heart of Spider-Man that, I mean, Spider-Man 2, the greatest superhero movie ever made, Mm. probably. Oh, yeah. In my eyes. The core of that film is May. You know, when that scene where she's clearing out the house and has that talk with Peter about what Spider-Man means to people Mm. and what it means to be a hero and about glory and about purpose and all, all of that great stuff, that's what makes that movie a classic. I mean, sure, it's got a great villain. Sure, it's got kick-ass action. But to me, that that scene in the smack dab in, in the middle of Spider-Man 2 is what makes it work, and that's all Aunt May. And Spider-Man PS4, I think one of the oh, best yeah. Spider-Man stories ever told is all about Aunt May and her influence on Peter. And we won't, we'll talk about Spider-Man PS4 another time because we'll do an, ex, an actual episode on it. And I won't get into spoilers here now for about like the, the breadth of that film, or uh, the, not the film of video game and that story that's being told but it's it's the amazing spider-man and and the the marvel spider-man movies don't have that understanding 
of how important May is, and I think they are lesser Spider-Man stories for it. And I'm glad that we finally circled back around to know May is who gave Peter his heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Yeah. Very well put. Very well put. And a lot. I and we we've barely talked about the villains that we have here, and the the fact that it is such a like. Green Goblin kills May, like, in front of Peter and goads him into, like, Emperor Palpatine-style strike-me-down, like, confrontation. Which I do feel like, something I couldn't help but think during some of those more dramatic moments is how much more interesting would this have been if, if... it weren't stuck in Marvel in in the MCU specifically. Like, how would Raimi have shot that? You know, and yeah, I, that's not the fault of John Watts. I think that's the fault of just the homogeny that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But what really, I mean, the 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 shining moment of all of this for me is not the action. It's not the super kick-ass Doctor Strange sequence which we haven't even talked about yet. <laughs> yeah. The standout in all of this film to me is the performances and Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin is oh. back and better than ever. He is just truly I don't think oh. it ever left him. I think he really switches back and forth in his real life cuz it was so perfect. It was incredible. I in this movie, I genuinely almost cried when it's just one line but when they're in feast and and may Mm. is comforting him and he's talking about how confused he is and he doesn't know where he is and he just feels so lost and so in in such a real way they treat um they take norman's illness so seriously Mm -hmm. and with such genuine humanity and heart behind it and the way that he's just so confused and so and he feels clearly so alone and so desperate and then he's so distraught about his son not existing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. We 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 get we dabble in that in the first Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man, and it they they really do focus a lot more on from from my own memory, they focus a lot more on the goblin side of Norman Osborn. Absolutely. And there's, you know, we have those like Smeagol Gollum moments where he's like talking into the mirror, but it was I feel it was just really to punctuate the transition into like monster and then we don't really see much of that again until like the final fight with him in the in like the messed up building and in here like you said it's it's written so well and the idea of this broken man being like so willing and so frightened by what will happen otherwise if he doesn't help his his alternate protege spider-man and then just him twisting into the into the goblin in those perfect moments. It's 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 so well done. That is a complete testament, I think, to Willem Dafoe's strength as a performer. I mean, yes. Willem Dafoe is one of the great working actors. Period. You and I, I have sung his praises countless times. And there's so much humanity and heart in his performance. I think, and I, I agree with you that the writing is strong. And I mean, when I was a kid, uh, the first Spider-Man. Like the Raimi 2002 Spider-Man. That mm-hmm. was the first PG-13 movie I ever saw. Damn, that's I a good wa- one to break the threshold. I watched it on TV with my mom, and a line that has stuck with me my entire life, and I think it's the first time I ever picked up on something like this, so really it probably is an important formative experience for me as a filmgoer, is um, you know, early in the second act of, of that film when MJ is working at the diner and Peter runs into her and she says, don't tell Harry. And like because she's ashamed to be working at this mm, diner. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, um, after Goblin realizes he's been impaled and he's gonna die, 
and he, Norman comes back for a minute. Yeah, the last moment. And he and all he says is to Peter is, is, is don't tell Harry. Mm. That in those last moments he's thinking about his son. And 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 because that's one of the great things about that movie is it's clear how much Norman loves Harry and how he feels like he's failed Harry because Harry's a little prick. Oh no, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um you're not wrong, you're not um, wrong. I guess we could leave that in. Um <laughs> <laughs> but he i mean like he it, like that kid sucks in those oh no, yeah he's and, really a jerk and norman clearly knows that and feels bad about it because he knows that he's done that to his son mm. and it's just such a great performance such a haunting performance the way like the way he says don't tell harry and dies in that film oh yeah is something that never left me like i saw that when i was probably seven or eight and yeah, that's, never... a, that's an intense scene, yeah. too. He's, like, he's like blood out of his mouth, fully impaled, cutting back to Toby, like, all ripped up and bleeding. Like, that's, that's intense stuff. I can see why that stuck with you, especially, again, because Willem Dafoe is such a master at what he does. So I, I think some of the power of, his, like, the reason I think it made me almost cry in this film when he was thinking about his son is because it's so loaded with the emotion from mm. that um, from that other film. And, I mean, I think you literally heard me go, um, or I'm sure if you, you were sitting right next to me, Seamus, which is why I said, which is why I say this, because I went, oh, <laughs> when he, when he said <laughs> like it. it, like it, like it hit you in the gut. You're just like, oh man. It, because it's just, I think part of the strength of this movie, it's not the entire strength of this movie, which I would have said before the, the last five minutes of this movie, is that so much of the emotion of it is from bringing in the the film the work of frankly better films Mm -hmm. of of bringing in toby and the great alfred molina oh he's um, so good in this too who i mean he's the most sympathetic villain i mean he's a big part of the reason spider-man 2 works so much because he's so sympathetic in in that movie totally and like but bringing in the character work that we already understand the tragedy of them and trying to save their souls, which Pete, which Toby didn't get to do. He didn't get to save them. And getting Ugh. that second chance. Because everybody's a, getting second chances. Everybody's movie, getting man. second chances. Oh, uh, the Statue of Liberty's got a stupid shield on it now. <laughs> yeah, um, what's the deal? That was weird. Oh, uh, that's, I don't know. There's some, if, if these movies were smarter, I'd say there was some kind of commentary <laughs> in that. Um, oh, God. They'll bring it up in... Captain America 4 or something. It'll be well, on the news. They brought it up on Hawkeye this week, baby. Oh, yeah. That's what... I mean, we'll talk about that more on Hawkeye, <laughs> but they said new and improved Statue of Liberty, so I'm very curious to see if we get oh, more man. stuff and, like that coming up. And, you know, we got, we got in the beginning, Spidey swinging through New York with all the Rogers, the musical stuff. I think that might have been in the trailers, too, right? Um, I didn't see it in the trailers. I did notice it though last night. Um, yeah, they're they're doing they're doing they're setting up some work here, man. For and also especially because and I mean obviously. Oh, I know this ain't a spoiler. Yeah, it the the this new Spider Man it ends in like winter time, like prime Christmas. It ends in Christmas. Yeah, he's swinging yeah. through Rockefeller Center. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll get into it on the Hawkeye segment, which oh. Do you remember the name we came up for our Hawkeye segment? Something incredibly elaborate and stupid. Hawk the Herald Angels Sing. Is that the is that the whole thing? We yeah. didn't go with the <laughs> Okay, alright, that's the better one then. But I think now that we've talked about um, you know, the themes and performances and 
and, and, and emotionality and, and writing and structure. Uh, let's talk about Spider-Man, please. Um, you know, about... I'm something of a scientist myself. Oh, loved it. That just that. Uh, it's so dumb, but I loved it. The the banter between Spider-Men was their chemistry's off the amazing. charts, dude. It, it's incredible. Just the and I, I, after seeing this movie, I'm now back on the Andrew Garfield train. I keep saying that I'm all about Andrew Garfield Spider-Man now. I think a lot <laughs> of that was him being bouncy about it. You know, he he's got he's got the good quips and the timing. Like when it was even when with it was uh, just him and Toby like cracking his back. Honestly, so good. I could watch like four hours of him and Toby. Just <laughs> yes. You think they just like put him on set? It was just like just do some chit chat. Just like how, just like be here. It's fine. Well, because it I, felt so natural. I wanted to say about Andrew Garfield is that his characterization throughout the entire film felt like this, and this is gonna be a weird comparison. This kind of Professor Hulking of the Amazing Spider-Man. In Interesting. That they have taken the quirks um and eccentricities of the peter parker characterization in that film and come and kind of meshed it with the way that he the confidence that he has when he's spider-man and he's mm. just kind of like that all the time now so he's less annoying because i recently rewatched the amazing spider-man uh and it's better than i remember it being but peter parker's kind of annoying in that movie yeah like when he the spider-man stuff is great but Peter Parker is kind of annoying. And I think that they've done, they've taken, like, and balanced him out a little bit more. But it still feels like the same character. It feels like an older version of that character, which is what it is. Because he's yeah, supposed I, to be, like, ten years older. Yeah, he ta- he's, he's, like, punished Spider-Man. He's got, like, the stubble on his face, and he talks about his dark past of vengeance and, like, what not saving Gwen Stacy did to him psychologically and emotionally and how it like affected him as Spider-Man too. I, I thought it was, it was great. Andrew is great in this movie. I'm, I'm really impressed. I mean, he's always been a great actor. Oh yeah. Uh, I I mean, the first time I remember seeing him is the social network. Yeah. Oh yeah. Me too. He's tremendous in that. And he, again, just going back to the chemistry between the three Spider-Men, is it really works because they all feel like their own distinct characters. Yeah, totally agree. And I mean, even, and God bless Tobey Maguire for coming back and doing this again. Cause he was also wonderful, a lot more gentle and I guess subdued maybe a little bit than I remember, but I do remember a lot of the memes from his movies. So that might be a lot of what I'm thinking of. I think that th- when we're looking at the portrayal of of the the, the Raimi verse in this film. Most of it is drawing from Spider Man Two. Mm-hmm. I think partially because it's the best one, but also I think that that is the one where character where Peter's characterization is the strongest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Toby feels like he's doing. Like the scene, uh, the scenes between him and Otto throughout Spider Man Two have the tone of this character in in no way home yeah i think i could see what you're talking about i I totally get that i all i i also was maybe thinking about like we kind of have three eras of spider-man almost in in terms of like burgeoning on crisis spider-man young spider-man is tom holland we have like prime in the middle of internal conflict spider-man in andrew garfield and then we have our 
veteran, old, like, pro Spider-Man who's a lot more comfortable in what he does now, because I can only assume the Peter Parker that we got, though he was definitely drawing on a lot of that Spider-Man 2 stuff, is, like, what a present-day Spider-Man would be at the time. Dare I say, kind of like Spider-Verse? Weird how that is, huh? Um, that you've got I these, can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't bring in Miles, if I'm being honest. I know they referenced them again, but... Oh, there's gonna really be Spider-Man out there somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I thought that was gonna be the after credits, man. I really did. Um, me too. Uh, but I don't mind, because they'll get to it. And there's no rush. Because I, yes. Introducing Miles right now, I think, would be a disservice to, to frankly, to Miles. Because I don't think our, our Peter is in a place right now where he can support a Miles. Where I don't think... I think you're right, yeah. That Miles would work right now. I think the way he's integrated in the PS4 universe... Oh, yeah. That's it, a great... Like, is incredible, and I think that's... About... That should be the way it happens. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I think that's about how they'll probably play it if they're smart. Um, I mean, yeah, I can only imagine, regardless of who remembers him, Peter Parker will be, like, sacrificing his time to help run Feast and that, and that'll maybe be there. Because I know that was kind of the connection that they got there when tragedy befalls Miles. And I'm not saying they have to do it that literally translated from the game. Because the game's its own thing, and I want it to stand on its own, and I don't want it just to be like, oh, that's a good mm. idea that the movie can use later. Because I really do think it's one of the best incarnations of Spider-Man, period, in that game. But I just... I, I, I agree. I love the place that Peter is in when Miles enters his life in that game. I think that's, like, the core of it. But also, we, we've seen from Spider-Verse that... Um, you know, th that could be a very different dynamic depending on how, on how old Peter is. Because if it, with the Spider-Verse, you see Peter at different points in his life meeting Miles. And how he kind of treats him differently. Mm -hmm. So I think at the end of the day, um, we just need to thank Spider-Verse for, for being as amazing as it is. <laughs> and for giving us this movie. Yeah, I guess so. Man, we really did get them all there. And and, and I mean, you know, I, we only got our, our sixth right at the end there. And it was oh, it was pretty much just a gag. But... It really was just a gag. <laughs> Danny Rojas was there. Football is life. Gotta love that. Yes, I was very ha I was very glad to see Danny Rojas. Um, I feel like if I were a Venom fan, uh, movies I have not seen. Me neither. I would be annoyed that the post credit scene of Venom Two is teasing Venom's finally coming to the MCU. He's come. He's it's going to happen. They're going to cross over. And then the post credit scene of this movie is like, never mind. Um, <laughs> he's, what? What? I know. I know it teased the entrance of the MC. What was actually? What actually happened in the post credit scene of Venom Two? Um, he was like sitting in in a uh, hotel in Mexico, which is a, which seems to be where he is in the post credit scene as well of Far From right. uh, What the movie we just watched, No Way Home. Uh, that's going to get confusing, and I hope they drop the whole thing after this. <laughs> Me too. I'm hoping each trilogy gets its own buzzword that they use. And yeah, that'd be cool. I like that. So yeah, he's sitting in this, this hotel room, and he's got the TV on, and um, Venom, is they're just chit-chatting, whatever, like I guess like they do in those movies. And then right. like some kind of weird, like the lights flicker, and it goes... And they're in presumably another universe... And the TV comes on, and it's uh, Tom Holland getting unmasked. Oh. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. Venom's like, I like this. And then he, like, licks the screen or whatever. I just don't 
I don't care about Venom. But um, that is that is wild that they would do such a swing like that and then just have him blip out. And I know the symbiote is still in, um, still in MCU universe, so it'll you know find its way to Ned at some point. Um, he'll turn I was going to say we need Venom. to call who is the symbiote in <laughs> in this universe. Um, my money's on Flash Thompson. Yeah, that uh, maybe I would love to see like like MJ Venom. Is that a thing in the no, comics? Don't maybe do that to me. That would be oh. awesome though. Come on, she doesn't remember him, and she gets infected with the symbiote. The symbiote is after Spider Man. Spider Man has to confront everything. It would be it would be crazy. Seamus, you storytelling mad lad. <laughs> uh, or you know, throw it onto Wong. Let's have Wong Venom. Let's go crazy. That'd be kind of cool, actually. <laughs> um, I want more Wong in maybe everything. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, we shouldn't. We should talk about the Doctor Strange stuff in this because it is so good. Oh yeah. But I do kind of like the idea because also everybody forgetting that Spider Man is Peter Parker means that we don't have to play with too many of the MCU toys anymore. We can just yeah, do exactly. Spider Man stuff now, and I kind of like that. I like. You know, this friendly neighborhood pared down Spider-Man. And I don't need... Like, it's fun to put him in the Avengers or whatever. But at the end of the day, I don't need Tony Stark and Happy Hogan and Doctor Strange and everybody else in my Spider-Man movie. Yeah, maybe, like, there can be a... Like, a you know, give a, give us a fun after-credits gag where he, like, bumps into Hawkeye on the street or something and he's like, watch it, kid, or whatever. But, like, that's... At most, you know, you can have some fun like that. Have Spider-Man do his own thing. Spider-Man's got his own world of villains and people and partners to to have fun with that we can wait to bring him back in there. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe the Avengers get back together and they're like, do you know how to call Spider-Man? And they're like, wait, I thought you knew how to call Spider-Man. Oh, I guess it was just Tony Stark, new Spider-Man. Well, we're doing Young Avengers and uh, Yelena is in... Town for Christmas, so... Oh, yeah, that's true. You know, we'll see. But, uh... Well, we aren't confirmed doing Young Avengers yet, but, like... I mean, come on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, let's talk about Doctor Strange, then probably get out of here, I think. Sure, yeah, Doctor Strange is here. I thought we were gonna get... (laughs) All right, I didn't really think he was gonna be Mephesto at the end, but I thought that it was, like, if... It could have been a great funny twist, you know? That could have been the way to go. coming through the portals at the end. Yeah, Matwisto. It could have been great. But, you know, I'm still, you know, I I love Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange. It's great. We like you were you mentioned before that fight in the mirror dimension where they're swinging through Inception New York City is incredible. And then they like multiply the mirror dimension by itself which is it just goes way crazier and then peter using geometry to yeah he was like i got your number dr strange this is all just math i'm gonna absolutely destroy you in here i remember us saying on the podcast literally years ago when we found out that dr strange was gonna be in this movie that like we need to see peter web swing through dr strange in new york and (laughs) he did it and i'm so glad he did it oh it looks so good the swinging and him like crawling all over the morphing stone buildings it it looked fantastic yeah just a really compelling easy to follow fight scene mind you because marvel stuff is so often like 
like the end of Shang Chi, which we'll talk about another time, <laughs> which is just gray polygons morphing into each other. Yeah, yeah, it really is. But yeah, that fight it was so interesting visually, and like that the the train right at the end where he's like using the train to to surround him with more train. It's ah, I don't know. Also, I, an I homage to Spider Man Two, or Into the Spider Verse. Oh, I guess that's true too. I, I was thinking, uh, that was my thought. It's like, it could be either or both. I mean, Spider-Man it, just it, has it, interesting Because Into the Spider-Verse things. is itself an homage to Spider-Man 2, I would Right, say. that's true. But, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. But you're right. No, that's a good thing to bring up. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a little convenient how he just showed up at the end. Oh, yeah, when <laughs> Ned is maybe oh, going to be the Sorcerer we Supreme. We didn't talk about <laughs> Ned yet. <laughs> he, he stole, well, okay, so Spider-Man stole his ring his portal ring, and gave it to Ned, who can just use it because his grandma at one point said that there's magic in his family and that his hands sometimes tingle. Yeah, so I really loved Ned having that little moment. It felt very... That felt like um an older style of, of blockbuster filmmaking to me, where you give your side character something exciting and surprising to do um, and not just be the funny comic relief. Like, very, that's very much in the vein of, like, a diehard to me. Where it's like, oh, yeah, sure, Ned, just give Ned superhero powers. <laughs> yeah, like, sure. And, like, like not uh, that uh, the Argyle the... has superhero powies in right, Die Hard, right. but that, you know, he gets to be a hero, too, and that he gets a payoff that's exciting. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that it's more than just that, because he also gets saved by the cape at the end, and he's, like, wearing the cape yeah. floating down. I... And and Doctor Strange is like also very surprised that Ned can do any of that. Mm-hmm. He's and I I think maybe Wong is gonna adopt Ned as his new protege. Because I mean, Ned's the one who brings the Spider Men together. He in yeah his, he does. As we um mentioned in our broadcasting location, his grandmother's apartment. They're just <laughs> all hanging out and. It, that's I mean that's one of the best scenes in the movie is just uh, do you remember just that that portal opening up to to Andrew in the distance and down a dark alleyway and the entire theater going oh <laughs> that's so incredible and Toby just stepping through it in normal clothes <laughs> yeah yeah that made me laugh but he yeah he's got his stuff underneath I'm almost surprised they didn't give Andrew Garfield like a like a green trench coat and gray sweats, because that's kind of the vibe I got from him, Spider-Verse style. No, because I, I don't think he's, like, let himself go or anything. I meant more of just, like, the more down-on-your-luck style Spider-Man. And I know that, you know, he's he had his a lot more of a redemption going on in this than... He saves MJ. He saves MJ. And he I cries like when he saves MJ. He is... He's messed up in this movie, man. <laughs> yeah. He's you like would be, though. thousand yards staring MJ in the eyes, like having PTSD flashbacks to killing his girlfriend. He didn't kill her. He didn't save her, I guess. To not, I don't have to kill you, but I don't have to save her either. <laughs> oh, God, I'm telling you, Batman, Spider-Man, it's awesome. I want it. Yeah, this was a good movie. Um, I'm curious to see it again. Uh, it's the first Marvel movie in years and years and years where i was like i would like to watch that again right now please (laughs) Um, yeah straight up man i totally agree i you know i i really i loved you know loki and wandavision and falcon and the winter soldier they're all great and 
I'm having a good time with a lot of the stuff they're doing now, but this movie, man, it it really sparked something sparked something in me that just I want to go watch the old Raimi's. I'm I'm dying like for some reason I am dying to watch the Amazing Spider-Man movies now again. It's it's great. I I I really really liked it. Me too. It it blew my expectations out of the water. To be honest, I was I was tentatively excited for it, but I expected fan service at, at best, and I got. A genuinely compelling, engaging, satisfying, intriguing story. Yeah, totally. Totally agreed. I, I I, really, I don't know if I was like lying to myself or like really just tempering my expectations, but I was just like, this movie is going to be good. I know it's going to be good. And that's all I'm giving myself. And then just smiling wide, ear to ear, the whole movie pretty much. So let's move on. And try not to spoil this movie in our next segment. <laughs> oh yeah, where we, we talk have, about we have Hawkeye to not do that because I don't. I, I think going forward, it's going to be hard to not talk about Hawkeye without spoil. Like after this week's Hawkeye, I suspect it might be harder to talk about Hawkeye without spoiling No Way Home. Yeah, I think so too. But oh, Daredevil is in this movie. Daredevil's in this movie. Oh my um, god! Uh, also, Sandman's in this, in this movie. The Lizards in this movie. Electro's in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but who cares? Um, I mean, I love Flint Marco, but um, yeah, Flint Marco. Uh, who cares? Um, <laughs> yeah, Charlie but, Cox catches a brick. Absolutely, just just a chad of a man in this movie. My God, I'm I thought... a really good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. Um, it has the energy of the Defenders episode where Jessica Jones gets arrested and he walks in and he's like, I'm your lawyer. Yeah, yeah it definitely does. Which I hope, you know, I hope they bring them in too. And, and we'll see uh, We'll see if uh, Hawkeye has any little surprises for us in that vein. Yeah, for I sure. I suspect that it might. And Oh, also Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh yeah, trailer. post-credits, whatever. Yeah, there's a trailer. for. <laughs> We're going to talk about that trailer next week during, or next episode during news, I'm sure, because they'll, yeah, they'll okay. release that soon they'll enough. They'll drop that for sure, yeah. Okay, um, alrighty, alrighty. So, Will, that'll be another time. But yeah, there is a Doctor Strange trailer at the end of this 2011 Captain America style. Yeah, wild, um, huh? Now, let's move on to our pop culture reference. Today's pop culture reference is Avi Arid. Avi Arid is an Israeli-American toy inventor and film producer partly responsible for the modern landscape of live-action Marvel movies. Beginning with the often-forgotten David Hasselhoff-led Nick Fury TV movie in 1998, Arid was integral in the film adaptations of X-Men, Blade, and Sam Raimi's 2002 Spider-Man. Later, after their success, he would also have a producer's role on films like Ghost Rider, Elektra, and The Fantastic Four. He left Marvel Studios because he was convinced that the plan to create solo films leading to a larger Avengers film would fail. Of course, this plan went on to launch the MCU as we know it today. Arid has long been criticized for wringing the most money possible out of the Spider-Man brand and treating the creative teams behind the films and cartoons poorly and with disdain. Arid long stood in the way of Miles Morales being put into a Spider-Man film in any capacity, and he has made many questionable statements regarding diversity in superhero films. Arid was a large player in canceling Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4 and instead rebooting the franchise with The Amazing Spider-Man. Arid was also a vocal opponent to having Spider-Man involved with the current MCU. Rumors detail that Arid was removed from having any creative input of the Spider-Man slash MCU films going forward as part of the Disney-Sony Spider-Man renegotiation following Spider-Man Far From Home. Between after-credit scenes in the recent Spider-Man No Way Home, a very specific message can be seen reading, The filmmakers would like to gratefully acknowledge the original true believer Avi Arad, whose vision led the way to bringing these iconic characters to the screen. 
and this statement sparked a new wave of controversy regarding Arad and Spider-Man. I think there's a couple of interesting things in there. One, True Believer, obviously a very loaded uh, Stan Lee homage. Yeah. Two, it makes me wonder if maybe if the rumors are true that he was removed from having any creative input on the MCU films now, is that maybe a term of that new deal? Well, yeah, we'll take him off creatively, but in the credits you have to acknowledge his role he's played in Spider-Man as a whole. Yeah, maybe. I know those those renegotiations were very messy, so maybe that is, that is something that we'll have to see from time to time as a shout out to Avi Red. But yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. Not a particularly good dude. Has had a big impact on the modern superhero culture, but not, I would say, in a good way. And he seems yeah. to often make, every decision he makes seems to be a bad one. And, you know, granted, I will always fall back on those old X-Men movies and I'm sure his role's in creating Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies could be debated and for what he actually was able to accomplish Well, there, he's but... often been blamed for forcing more villains into Spider-Man 3 than right, Raimi yeah. wanted. Like, that was... They say that was him. Because Raimi didn't want to do Venom at all. Damn, that's... Yeah, that's... Uh, a lot of people say that's the last nail in the coffin for that movie, but... Yeah, I think um, that's also... I mean, he... Raimi pushed back on his stuff, which is part of the reason he didn't want to do Spider-Man 4. He wanted Spider-Man to Spider-Man 4. It. And also, the Amazing Spider-Man films are very clearly... More more direct products of his input, I would say. So yeah, this uh, this special special message at the end of probably what is gonna be one of the more iconic Marvel films for a long time. It's it's an interesting choice. So you might not be wrong in that it was more of a contractual obligation thing or a, a deal that was made to to ensure something that went along a little smoother. Especially when you know Mark Webb and Sam Raimi weren't thanked in the credits of Spider-Man No Way Home, who have had a way bigger impact on the way that Spider-Man is viewed culturally, I think, than uh, than Avi Arid. So yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit of a weird controversy. So I'm sure we're, I think we're probably going to hear more about this as more people see No Way Home and kind of a lot more of the reactions and implications of what that means. Agreed. All right, shall we? uh, Shall we hawk it up? Let's do it. Welcome back to Hawk the Herald Angels Sing, your weekly recap of the Hawkeye series on Disney+. Plus. Welcome back to Hawk the Herald Angels Sing, episode one, technically, because this is the oh, first yeah. time we've released a, <laughs> a Hawkeye uh, uh You'll maybe hear us in a, in a later episode try to come up with this name so painstakingly, but this is what we landed on. I think it's funny. I like it. Oh, I um, love it. I, I, I think it's a lot of fun. And I think these most recent episodes of Hawkeye were a lot of fun, and I will say maybe better than the first two episodes. Certainly better than the first two episodes. Um, spoilers, as always, when we're talking about these Marvel shows, there's just not a lot of point in beating around the bush, because a lot of the time, the way these shows are structured is they kind of drag their their heels until the last, like, five minutes of the episode, and then they drop a big reveal, and then they end the episode. So, less so with these two. Well... Less so with the fourth one, maybe the third one, <laughs> yeah. uh, a little bit more. But yeah, spoilers. So let's just go ahead and get into it for episode three and four. It's just gonna be one big old, big old talk because episode three is basically just like they escape from the tracksuit mafia. There's some interpersonal drama. They are gonna break into the head of the tracksuit mafia's house to steal the watch, and Florence Pugh shows up. Yeah, that was per- that was kind of the crux of the the third one. Was there that Florence Pugh got there? 
Yelena, 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 Yelena Belova, I believe her name is. She's doing badass Black Widow assassin stuff. I guess really the fourth episode is what we're gonna talk about mostly here. Cause I, who, I, the, the lady, the deaf lady who's running the tracksuit mafia. Echo. Incredibly boring. Very forgetful. I mean, I feel bad for her. I think she's actually a sure. pretty. I think she's a pretty compelling villain in that I sympathize with her. I just don't care about the tracksuit mafia at all, and the reason because of is because uh, we're building up to a bigger threat. Um, <laughs> which yeah, yeah. um, you it's not going to be as impressive because I call I called it in an episode that hasn't been released <laughs> yet, but I knew it was coming, you Seamus. I absolutely knew it. called it. High society art life middle-aged white woman with a shorter haircut it was all there right in front of us man and i am very pleased that that's happening especially in conjunction with other revelations going on currently in the larger (laughs) marvel cinematic universe kingpin he's here and he's vincent d'onofrio and i'm happy for for us um i'm happy for vincent d'onofrio because i know that he's wanted this for a long time uh, and he's For so sure. good at it. I can't see anybody else doing it. I really can't. Yeah, he's been like maybe one of the most vocal of the Netflix Marvel realm on like social media and the internet about like supporting, you know, his co-stars in those shows and like advocating for more maybe more of the shows themselves or just in general the integration into the MCU and here we are. We're here. I thought I I granted I got this spoiled for me sadly that D'Onofrio is going to show up but I couldn't be more thrilled having him back on a series of course it's like a good foray back into I guess now officially into the MCU but I want to see him in every movie ever I want to see him in the next Spider-Man I feel like that would be the perfect villain to throw at him there I I love Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin and I'm thrilled to see him go head to head with Hawkeye who he might kill. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see. I mean, there were without getting into any spoilers for any other media, there was also an allusion to the Statue of Liberty which is fleshed out in another um Marvel piece of media going on right now. So, I think that it's very interesting to see these kind of tentative connections happening and how things that are happening in the same place at the same time with with related characters might intersect. Mm. And my God, I will say that if what you're alluding to, which I know exactly what you're talking about, if that does happen at the finale of Hawkeye, it might elevate this show a lot. Or maybe not not the very last episode, but like if the latter half of this show, because I think we're officially halfway through our eight episodes now. Is it is it eight episodes? I have no idea. I don't know. It's longer than what Loki was or whatever. I think that it would kind of elevate the show a lot if if those characters did cross over a little bit. And, you know, it would be maybe one of the first times that a show has had more of a bearing on on the bigger realm that we're actually seeing go on right now and not just setting up for the distant future that we'll, we'll circle back around to. I like the way you said all of that, Seamus. I hope that in a couple weeks... If Hawkeye takes the direction that we suspect it might, we'll be able to talk more freely because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm marveled out, you know that, but mm. uh, the last couple things 
the way that they have appealed to me and the strength of the storytelling going on in them has rejuvenated my 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 luster a little bit and i I mean i liked this episode a lot not just because of the reveal of kingpin at the end but also i mean i thought yelena's cold open was tremendous where totally she gets snapped and brought back in in an instant and seeing it from that exact perspective i thought was really really fun and i like that character a lot she was the she was the standout of black widow to me as i think she was to most people um, oh absolutely Florence Pugh is amazing and that amazing characterization and acting carries right on over through the mac and cheese dinner scene like oh, incredible what it falls great... right back into why that character is kind of a fan favorite i mean i think what well, one more than kind of a fan favorite i think like just an absolute i think the reason people liked black widow as much as they did is not because black widow is good i think it's because they like florence Pugh, and you know I, yeah yeah and i mean the most engaging conversation on the entire series was this episode between Kate Bishop and Yelena and it was funny it was tense it was like they had really good chemistry totally Um, yeah they're gonna be great on the young Avengers together yeah I agree and And so I I love it I I I loved the way that this episode kind of escalated all of that yeah totally totally great very excited for the next ones coming up we get the we also uh less impressively called that the mom is super evil and specifically hired Yelena to go after Hawkeye. Yeah, but at least she's not hiring Yelena to go after her own daughter or anything yet, you know? Yet is the exact word oh. that is important there. Yeah, mom's super evil. Surprise, surprise. Very interested to see where all of this goes. Because honestly, I don't have an exact trajectory for it because the introduction of Kingpin throws a lot of gears, <laughs> yeah. throws a lot of uh, wrenches into a lot of gears. Well, in the finale, when Luke Cage and Kingpin have an epic fist fight together, it'll oh, be that incredible. Oh, that would be so good. Um, yeah, right? Uh, Luke Cage would not the... fit into this at all. <laughs> except, no, no. I hope Luke Cage is a LARPer. That's what I hope. Um, oh my god, that's how they, <laughs> they fit him in. Um, I love the continued... Uh, oh no, well, I'm like... loving the LARPer stuff way more. Like, you were yeah. way into it right away. I was a little skeptical of it, the first interaction, but now they're like all buddies and stuff. It's very fun. Grimes, I think, is a great character. Um, yeah. And it reminds me of a little bit Team Thor, which was that Taika <laughs> oh, Waititi yeah. short film that they made when Civil War came out, where what thor is doing during civil war yeah i remember that and he that just does... has his roommate Derek. Um, that's definitely the vibes they're going for here except uh grimes is so much cooler yeah I, obviously but i think it's funny like i think that dynamic is just inherently <laughs> yeah. funny and i think grimes is a good character i like that they treat him with respect in a way like there's a humanity to hawkeye that there isn't in most marvel stuff which is what i like about it right now is that they're like yeah these are just folks and yeah here's what it would be like to live in this bizarre world i mean certainly uh they're kind of toning down how traumatic it would be sure yeah because like 9-11 happens every week (laughs) (laughs) that's in new york specifically yeah yeah but all the same just like i like their dynamic i like the way it's working i think something fishy is going on with linda cardellini because i think that watch i think that watch might be her watch the way she was talking this episode? Yeah, what? Okay, I was going to say, they're they're alluding a lot more to it. It emits a GPS signal, 
everyone's after it. It was in the Avengers compound, along with maybe the Ronin stuff it might be related to, might be about Linda Cardellini's past as Doctor <gasps> Doom. Oh, oh what is oh, it? Oh, oh, oh what my goodness. What do you got? No, I can't say it on air. Crap. <laughs> what Seamus. Okay, spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home. It's a red watch from the Avengers compound. Somebody's identity is tied to it. Somebody whose identity, theoretically, nobody knows. Oh my god. You might be onto something here. happening at the exact same time as Spider-Man No Way Home at Christmas time in New York City. What if Peter Parker's identity is on that watch? And what if Kate Bishop gets it? activates it, finds out who he is, and asks him to join the young gosh dang Avengers. Tell me tell me I'm wrong. I think that's incredible. And I think you might be onto something there. I think that this is gonna be the old and I granted, do we cut all of this? Or are we just gonna do we No, I <laughs> mean is... leave it in. we said spoilers. Spoilers. Um... This could be the ultimate crossover that really I was kind of alluding to before. If that is the elevation that really intertwines the series with the mainline movies that could be truly because then that's also the real introduction of the Netflix stuff, the actual movies and the Disney plus series together. It would be incredible. I don't think it undoes Peter's sacrifice to have Kate find out who he is, you know? Yeah. Cause also what is she going to do? Go tell everybody she wants super friends. She needs, she's going to need super friends when Hawkeye gets definitely killed later, (laughs) which is what I'm still counting on. He's going to have a nice Christmas with his family, okay? Um, He's going to get killed on Christmas. But Man, yes, that's, I, I think didn't even notice that it was red, to be honest. I thought it was of gold. It's like shiny Iron Man red. Man, 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 man. Well, that's that's a great theory. And we a couple weeks from now, we will reconvene, and I will probably give you more props. I hope, I hope so. I think that'd be a great, elegant storytelling device. And also, connectivity between the MCU movies and the TV shows in a way that I never would have thought possible to be honest. But like now thinking about that would be incredibly seamless to do that. Or oh, what if, what if Kingpin gets his hands on the watch and finds out Spider-Man's identity? What if that's the setup for, Oh boy. Well, that's We're getting why, ahead of ourselves here. Uh, the only problem being is, is Spider-Man enough of an annoyance to Kingpin that Kingpin would care about finding out his identity? Well, that's the thing. What if, Spider-Man does come in, helps Hawkeye with the tracksuit mafia, becomes that nuisance, and then Kingpin just so happens to be able to find out who he is. But they broke into this whole thing just for the watch, right? Right. So is it a spider suit and it has Peter's identity in it or something? Maybe. Maybe. Because also, does Peter's wish doesn't retroactively make it so that, like, Tony didn't know who he was. So, like, theoretically, if Tony programmed a suit for him, the suit would still, you know, because like, Tony's yeah, dead. Like, yeah, if, if, if somebody wrote down on a piece of paper, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, I don't think Doctor Strange's memory spell yeah, would, yeah, like, it's make not back that paper disappear. It's yeah, logic. exactly. Um, so, yeah, sorry for halfway Ooh. through this episode, or halfway <laughs> through this Hawkeye episode, that it became a No Way Home episode. Um, oh, man. Well, that, I think that is incredibly clever, and I think that needed to be said, especially considering that Disney pulled the force healing thing yep, again I was thinking about that too. on Mando in Episode Nine, where they're just like, let's just drop something insane a couple days before our movie comes out so that we can really play with everybody. And I think it worked way better here than it did 
in uh, Star Wars. Correct. And yeah. I mean, ob- for way obvious reasons, but this one also leads to great future stuff, including what you just theorized. So I'm I'm all in. Yeah, I I I'm probably not right, but you know, dude, I, listen, you weren't. You haven't been wrong about Hawkeye yet. It's true. If, it's if simply you, true. If you can call this one, and if I can call that he's gonna die at the end of this, then we'll be we'll be batting a hundred. All right. Um, I think that there's nowhere to go. <laughs> nope, not really. the The reveals have been dropped, and the setups have been made. Now we just gotta see if D'Onofrio is actually gonna be on like screen screen in the next episode. Hopefully, he gets some of those lines. I think so. Yeah, they've got it, right? Did you watch through the credits, by the way, the oh, animated credits? with his silhouette there? Yes, yeah. the big box truck-sized Spider-Verse Kingpin silhouette. Yeah, very cool. Love it. I oh. like that. It's not always about the money, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Oh, so good. Let's move on to Save the Rec Center. Now it's time to Save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got? Well, this week, like I was talking about in our news segment, I downloaded the seven-day free trial of PlayStation Now just to just to check it out, just to see what it was all about before that rumored merger goes through in a couple months. And the PS3 games that are available on there to, to stream to your console are fantastic and i honestly missed the ps3 era so much going replaying a lot of that on my on my ps4 and one of the absolute standouts that i've i've loved for years but i've really never gotten to sit down and play too much is the atlas game catherine are you familiar with catherine garrett i i'm aware of its existence but i don't really know anything about it it is it's one of the weirder games i've ever played but it's it's addicting. The gameplay is based on like uh, climbing to the top of a tower made out of blocks that you can push while trying to outrun basically being killed by whatever's chasing you from the bottom up. And the story revolves around a man who is having these nightmares after cheating on his girlfriend. And there's a rumor that if you cheat on your girlfriend and have these nightmares, if you die in the dream, you die for real. Nightmare on Elm Street style. And it is incredibly well done, very well voice acted. The music, I I throw on the music very often. It's just like very great jazzy background music. It's one of the most horny games I've ever played. I don't know. That's not that's neither here nor there, but that's just a fact. Um, and I completely recommend it to anybody. They they came out with a what is it called in video games when it's not a remake? It's like a remake with added stuff into it. Like a, it's not really a remaster, then, is it? And it, it's like well, they they're doing it a lot now. It's like a director's cut. Yeah, it's basically they they released a director's cut where in the original game there were two women that you could basically choose between morally to see what path you go down and they released one a few years ago that they added in like completely new storylines and I it's just absolutely weird as hell and incredibly fun and on PlayStation Now if anybody has that or maybe we'll have it come spring. Well, look at all of you all of your little synergizing there um that sounds fascinating honestly that sounds like a great gameplay experience to me 
Um, it, yeah, man. It, it sounds bonkers. <laughs> that is a that's a good way to describe it. I'd say it's very bonkers, but still very funny and very disturbing and just very fun. But what do you got this week, Garrett? Well, my rec center. A couple weeks ago, I had the night off and. I did something I never do, which is I watched a movie just for me. I said, you know what? I just want to watch, you know, wasn't watching with friends. I wasn't watching for the podcast. I was like, what do I want to watch? And I uh, have wanted to see this movie for years. And uh, it was on HBO Max. And I said, good enough for me. And it was Spike Lee's Inside Man, a movie that is very clearly heavily influenced by the the 70s taking of Pelham 123. Um, a movie that is really one of my favorites ever. It's Clive Owen, Denzel Washington, Chuyatel Ejio Four, who I I think I'm saying that name correctly, and of course the man so close to my heart. We know him, we love him, Willem Dafoe. Oh, uh, he's so good in it, and it's just a like pretty standard uh heisty crime thriller, but. <laughs> It's it's Spike Lee, so you know it's just got that elevated polish, um, and there's you know he Spike Lee is good at making every type of movie, and this is his you know crime thriller, and it works right on, yeah, and it's fun and it's exciting, and the performances are really great, and I won't get into the plot of it because that's part of the pleasure of watching that kind of film, but I mean it's it's basically a, a bank robbery movie, and. I highly recommend it. Yeah, that cast sounds awesome. And, you know, I, you know me, I love a good heist movie, so that, that sounds perfect. You said it was on HBO Max? It was on HBO Max when I watched it. I'm, uh, let me double check. Yep, it's on HBO Max. Awesome. Very nice, very nice. I, I'll have to check that out, man. You know, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm like 50-50 on Spike Lee, but I, I respect your opinion a lot, so I'm gonna give that one a shot. Oh, also, um... I definitely forgot to mention Christopher Plummer and Jodie Foster are both in it. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. Right on, right on. Also, I'm fascinated by 50-50 on Spike Lee, and we should talk about that another time. Oh, I might not. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us at that same handle on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Whatever platform you're listening or watching on, please give us a a thumbs up, a subscription, a rating, a review, whatever it is that you can do wherever you are, please do so. It really helps the show out. We'll be back in the new year in 2022 for the book of Boba Fett, but I'm really glad, you know, with our regular upload schedule that we got this Spider-Man one out for you because... It was a movie I really enjoyed seeing and talking about, and I'm excited to hear what you all have to think as well. Yeah, man, I had a great time. I had a great time talking with this about you, and I had a great time this year recording the podcast with you, man. Me too, Seamus. It's been it's been a weird year for us, but you know, <laughs> yes, I think we're we're back and better than ever. That's what that's what I'll say about that. I think so too. Jo- join us in 2022 for season three, baby. We've been in season two for like two and a half years. <laughs> for so long, yeah. Um, but yeah, let's 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 cut it off, shall we? All right. Adios, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs>